Welcome to PHM After Dark, a podcast where we explore the exciting world of pediatric hospital medicine at night. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Mike, and I am back from hiatus and ready to bring out the new and improved version of PHM After Dark. I decided to do this for a few reasons, which literally no one cares about, but I'm going to go back now and revamp the whole podcast. I'm going to reorder some new episodes, record some new content, and work on creating a more sustainable workflow so that I can get content out easier and in a little bit more regular fashion. I also figured the new academic year is a perfect time to get this out, so here we are. Today's topic is going to be assessments. But before I get into that, a couple things I wanted to talk about first. What is PHM After Dark? Well, it's a podcast, obviously, where I discuss topics relevant for learners during a night shift. It is primarily meant for pediatric residents and med students at my home institution, but anyone can listen to it if you really want to, since, well, you know, it's the internet. When I first created the podcast, my goal is to make this really awesome thing that would be a part of the official night curriculum. Based on my own experiences these last few years, as well as a recent paper in hospital pediatrics by Beth Torricar et al., I'll put the PubMed link in the show notes when I figure out how to do that. Uh, Formal night curricula aren't really what residents want. Really, it's late, the hours are long, and learners just want to take good care of their patients, which obviously in itself is a form of education. Now, while I think the topics I cover here will be helpful, we need to meet people where they are. So this night curriculum is completely optional. You can listen to it whenever you want, so do with that what you will. Also, of note, nothing we discuss in this podcast is medical advice, nor meant to treat, well, anything. This is all purely for educational purposes and is my own opinion. If you have any specific medical questions or need medical advice, please talk to your own physician or preceptor. Also, I literally make up every clinical scenario and disease process. There is absolutely no PHI involved in this podcast. Any similarities to actual situations or patients is purely coincidental. Now that we have all the boring legal stuff out of the way, let's talk about our learning objectives today as we discuss assessments. By the end of this podcast, learners should be able to do the following. Number one, explain the importance of the assessment. Number two, list the essential components of an assessment. And number three, construct a basic assessment for a child with a non-complex medical condition. So assessments are how we succinctly convey information about a patient. For residents, you'll most frequently have to state your assessment while staffing a new patient with the attending or when you're writing your note. It's your chance to put together everything you learned about the patient and explain to someone what's going on and why that patient is in the hospital. Think of it like your 15-second elevator speech. You just spent several minutes presenting the rest of the H&P, so it's not meant to be a rehash of everything you just said, but more of a synthesis of who the patient is, why they're in the hospital, and how they're currently doing. You are assessing the patient's current state. Assessments are important for a few different reasons. For one, they help us take better care of patients by helping us focus on what's most important in the care of a patient. A good assessment should naturally lead into making a plan for the patient that makes sense and addresses the most important problems that a patient presents with. A good assessment can also help improve communication between the whole team by making sure everyone is on the same page about how a patient is doing. And specifically in the medical education environment, it allows us to quickly gauge where a learner is at in their ability to put their medical knowledge into practice. I think of assessments as really having two parts. The first part I usually label as the one-liner. It's who the patient is and what disease you think they have. 
And the second part is where you say how the patient is doing at the present moment. Let's talk about these sections one at a time. Let's start with the one-liner. The one-liner should include the following parts. The patient's name, age, gender, relevant past medical history, and the diagnosis. Name, age, and gender are pretty self-explanatory, and you literally just read that off the chart, so I'm not going to go over more than that. Relevant past medical history, though, requires a little bit more thought. You need to determine what parts of the medical history are worth mentioning. Should you bother mentioning that a 17-year-old with mono was a former 36-weeker? Probably not. Should you mention that a 4-month-old with RSV was actually a former 28-weeker who spent 12 weeks in the NICU and was just discharged yesterday? That's probably a little bit more important to mention. It might take gaining a little bit more experience to really understand what parts you should mention, but your job is to learn and gain experience, so keep working at it and will become more intuitive over time. Now the final part of the one-liner is the diagnosis. What is the patient actually in the hospital for? This is my favorite part of the assessment because it's your chance to think and use your medical decision-making to its fullest. If the diagnosis is obvious or already made, you can just say what the diagnosis is. But if it's a little bit more complex, then sometimes it's better to list out the most important symptoms, signs, a diagnostic tests, and then give a differential. And start with what you think is most likely. If you know the diagnosis is bronchiolitis because the patient has increased work of breathing and bronchi exam without focality, you can probably get away with just saying they have bronchiolitis. Still keep in the back of your mind that pneumonia is on the differential, but then again, you would expect focality on auscultation in that case, so it's a little less likely. I will often save the majority of my discussion of the differential and my medical decision-making process for a little later on after the assessment, because those are a lot of extraneous details at times, especially if it's all within the same paragraph, and it can really distract from the most important points you're trying to get across. Now, some people might argue that you should include more of the differential and important findings in the one-liner, but this is where everyone kind of comes up with a system that works for them and their patients. It's really, that's the art of medicine. Ultimately, the way that you're going to practice in the future is going to be some amalgamation of all the different people that taught you in the past. So take the parts of what you like from my teaching, combine it with the parts you like from other people's teaching, and come up with your own system that works for you and helps you take the best care of your patients. So in review, your one-liner is going to consist of the patient's name, age, gender, relevant past medical history, and the diagnosis. After your one-liner is going to come your actual assessment of the patient's current status, or how you think the patient is doing. I like to include this so as to give an indication of what others can expect the patient to look like when they go into the room themselves. For example, if your patient was admitted with dehydration but was adequately fluid resuscitated in the ED, you might say, they appear well on exam. Or maybe they qu weren't quite adequately resuscitated. Then you might say something like, they are ill appearing on exams with signs of mild to moderate dehydration, including tachycardia and tachymucous membranes. Or maybe what was originally thought to be simple gastro turned out to be something a little bit more sinister like sepsis secondary to bacteremia. In a case like that, you might say they are toxic appearing on exam with signs of uncompensated septic shock. If you're writing that, I hope you're doing it after you've taken care of the patient and got things stabilized. Poor form otherwise. As you gain more experience, your assessments will become more nuanced. Early on in your training, if you can tell sick versus not sick, you've got a good foundation for the future. 
my general baseline is to say something along the lines of they're either well-appearing, ill-appearing, or toxic-appearing, and then add in more detail based on what's going on if needed. Let's go through a few examples. Example number one. Casper is a 15-month-old girl born at 33 weeks, admitted with hypoxia secondary to bronchiolitis. She is well-appearing on exam, but continues to require supplemental oxygen. You could say that in less than 15 seconds, and now your attending knows when they walk into that room, they are most likely to see a little toddler on a nasal cannula, but who is otherwise not terribly ill-appearing. Example number two. Melchior is a four-year-old boy with a history of recurrent tonsillitis status post-tonsillectomy adenoidectomy three days ago, admitted now a dehydration secondary to PO refusal in the setting of poor pain control. He is ill-appearing on arrival to the floor with signs of moderate dehydration, including tachycardia, prolonged capillary refill of three seconds, and tachymucous membranes. Example number three. Balthazar is a 15-year-old male with Crohn's disease, admitted with exquisite abdominal pain, guarding, and distension, found to have free air on KUB likely related to intestinal perforation and toxic megacolon. He is toxic appearing on exam, with hypotension and in need of aggressive fluid resuscitation, broad-spectrum antibiotics, and emergency surgical evaluation. Now again, if you're writing that last assessment out, I hope you already did all the things you said Balthazar needed and are just getting caught up on documentation after the fact. Now those are three very, very different assessments, but you probably have a ballpark visualization of what each patient looks like and how sick they are, so it's going to help you prioritize which ones you need to worry about the most. And that's all for assessments for today. So in review, today we talked about what assessments are, including their basic components of the one-liner and the actual assessment of the patient's current state, as well as why assessments are important. We also went over a few examples, and I think with putting all this together, you should be able to construct a basic assessment on your own. And that's where we're going to wrap things up for this first episode of PHM After Dark 2.0. You can catch more episodes on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts as they become available. Feel free to subscribe if you want, or don't. It's a free country. I don't care. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Mike, hoping you find joy wherever you find yourself, even after dark. Take care.